Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless pieces of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. And it's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. Welcome back to the pod, ladies and gents. Good to be here. How are you doing, Mr. Walter? It's good. It's good to be in the pod. Did some American stuff today. Watched the Indy 500. Ended under caution. You did some communist shit today. You watched soccer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a global game, brother. It's a global game. Didn't you see Matthew McConaughey hyping the MLS up 25 years? Like, he owns part of the Austin team or something? Yeah. McConaughey's about it. What's more American than McConaughey? Uh, you know I'm super about it. I'm just giving you a hard time. I heard it, I heard it was a good game. Um, but hey, listen, you, you think I think it is a bad thing. I don't think that is a bad thing at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. No, it's funny. Actually, I was thinking about that before we we got started here, and we I was uh, thinking about some of our past conversations, and I was thinking about how to loop in the socialist ties, the socialism ties uh, to the uh, to the Champions League final today. So, uh, had to give you a hard time about that. Yeah, so, great game. How, how was the uh, the, uh, the the race? Was the race was good. There was a couple of uh, a couple of big uh, crashes, some big impacts, but everybody walked away okay. Um, pretty much. Uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. It didn't have the same kind of like takeovers and things. It seemed like they have the arrow screen deal this year uh, for the first time. So I think it was kind of a little bit hard to pass and get behind people and finish like follow closely. But uh, it was good. And the great part is, is that I got a workout in during it. Uh, you know, so uh, you know that's what's awesome. Set up the old trainer on the in the bicycle and uh, nice. got after it. You know what I mean? So I'm feeling good this afternoon on a Sunday. Well, you got after it, uh, you know, doing the race. Let's get after it right now. We got a couple uh, interesting topics to dive into. The world's still uh, on fire, figuratively and literally. And literally, California. Corona, USPS, these forest fires we're dealing with here in California. End times are here. Uh, we don't really want to talk about that, per se, because uh, we've touched on a lot of it, and some of it just becomes numbing, you know, it's like lidocaine. We don't need it at this point in time. Well, uh, we are interested in a few other stories we wanted to talk about, one of which uh, touches close to me because it's something I did actually in the past a very long time ago, which was I was a uh, first a Lyft driver and then an Uber driver. And I did this in like that, 20 That was back in its infancy. Like that was back when like you're like, you're doing what? You're doing what? I did Lyft, like, right when Lyft was starting out in, like, 2016. Yeah. Was, like, in, in San Francisco, I, 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 had, I had a pink mustache that I put on the front of my car. Like, that's how old how school cute. it was. Yeah, you're very cute. Thank you. And you made uh, you made good money at that time. You could make, like, $30, $35 an hour doing it in San Francisco. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, earlier you were kind of crushing, right? It was kind of like a, it was kind of like a land grab almost. It was, like, not a lot of people were doing it. And it's a gold okay. rush. You just get in. Freaking work your ass off, get the right hours, you know? I mean, well, the hours were like whatever, and the thing was, I had that advantageous position of my uncle was kind enough to give me a place to stay in the city, and I had a free parking space. So it's like, wow, you got a free parking place in the city? Yeah, adult place in the Castro, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, just outside that, if you have a parking space in the city, like, that just gives you the ability to do that very easily. You you got a home base easy to get to and from <clears throat> you can you, i could be in my living room and hit the button and it's like you gotta ride instantly as soon as you turn the app on you gotta ride people so many people around drunk going places need taxis etc etc so the story we're going to talk about though is as we've grown because lyft and uber uh you know conceptually what uber began as was 
it became a competitive replacement for this black car service in San Diego, or excuse me, San Francisco, uh-huh. where people would want luxury town cars when they came to the airport uh, to take them into the city. And usually it was private drivers, they'd be these nice cars, they'd have to be you know, licensed professional drivers. And when they came to the technology, they're like, we could do this cheaper where people who you know have their own cars of the same quality and they're not professional drivers, if they're willing to do it, they could still make great money and we could take a cut and then it's a win-win yeah, for everybody. I, I remember at Except first, the drivers. At first, at first, you had, at first, you had to have like a late model vehicle. It had to be within a certain year model. It had to be a certain you know size, right? It was a certain you know level of quality. That was the inception for it. It was the luxury car service replacements to compete with the, the private drivers uh, who did it or the private businesses who did it. They're like, oh, we've got this digital workaround that's going to allow us to compete and exploit labor. And what happened was after they successfully established that and people loved it because the thing is in big cities before the invention of technology, which a lot of people who are younger aren't as aware of, it was crazy trying to get a taxi. I mean, crazy. you could call Yellow Cab three times over the course of an hour and you're lucky if a taxi shows up. Mm-hmm. You know, you're better off walking if you lived in the downtown to an area where they might come by frequently and just hang out in the corner for 20 We used to do that. Do you remember that? It's crazy. I probably remember I mean, calling him. I remember hanging out in the corner. It's madness. <laughs> like, we, we don't have any other way to get here. Like, everybody wants to, to have a drink, so nobody's going to drive. That's crazy. Right. And you're like, so we have no way to get from point A to point B. Yeah, it'd be dumb anyway. We're really only trying to go across the city. Like You're going a couple miles, but you got to rely on this, this service, and the service is clearly mm-hmm. very uh, unreliable, and it seems like it's uh, underused, uh, utilized. Like San Diego specifically, I know before this, had the worst uh, person-to-taxi uh, ratio. I forget what it was, but it was like the worst of any major city. So I know you know back in the day, like uh, 2007, 2008, you're out in downtown 2009 like after Halloween or something like that. You're never getting home. Right. <laughs> you're, never getting, you're, you're stuck in the gas lamp unless you know you can – find your way in the back of his car or somehow like get a ride from somebody. It's very stuck. true. There's no way to get a taxi. Yeah. So uh, what happened was though, they realized that there was this underutilized market where instead of just doing this for luxury cars, we could do this for all cars. At the same time, Lyft uh, emerged as the competitor. And I remember when I signed up with Lyft instead of Uber, I didn't know about Uber at that time. Uber didn't have uh, a regular Uber X version at the time. They're mm. still doing the black, but they were developing that. And Lyft came out. And Lyft was supposed to be the idea, like the way they pitched it, of course, always marketing, is that, you know, this is like your neighborhood-friendly way to make money and help your community, you know? Mm -hmm. You've got a car. Your your friends and neighbors need rides. Why not help out? You know, you make some extra money. They'd be giving it to a taxi company anyways. It seems like a win-win. It's ride-sharing. It's ride-sharing. Hey, in Lyft, they'll be your friend. They're not going in the back in Lyft. They're sitting in the front. They're sitting beside you. And because they're your neighbors, it's like friendly. You'll have a conversation. And it's the truth. When I did Lyft, I had some weird experiences. But I also had some great conversations with people because people can be great and people can be terrible. Well, so, yeah, like, I was going to say, there's, like, a, there's a wide array of people. So, but like, that was like literally like, the trying to like make it like this uh, experience for both the rider and the driver. Like, you're going to get to know your community. And, like, they were going hard in the paint, but like, you knew underneath this veneer. The whole concept was, of course, to subvert the taxi industry. And the mm-hmm. taxi industry has long been an industry that uh, 
it's been very financially exploited and it's been very uh tightly controlled tightly controlled and regulated yeah you have to get these medallions that cost half a million to a million dollars the taxi drivers actually rent the taxi cars from the taxi companies Correct. and pay them to drive them yes so you've got this crazy system going on wait i thought like a taxi driver was like being paid an hourly wage and you got tips it's like no no they they rent a taxi car from a taxi company who paid hundreds of thousands if not a million well it's like the same as a hairstylist it's like the same able to, to, to lease taxi cars to taxi drivers right yeah so it's like they created this crazy business hierarchy where they're like this is how we think the labor should be exploited and along came the internet and the internet said you know what we've figured out a way where right now there's this this vast pool of unemployment you know what's interesting i'd like to know and you know what most people have in this country though they've got one asset they got a car even if they own money on it they got a car if they could use that car to make money everybody who has a crappy job or doesn't have a job can instantly make money and if we're taking a cut that means tens of millions of people can instantly be making us money Mm-hmm. Everybody knows they need taxis. Everybody can rely on it. We don't need to spend millions of dollars for medallions in every city. And we don't need, we don't to, to, and we don't need to acquire a fleet of assets that are going to depreciate over time. And we're going to have to work and maintenance on them. We're going to let the, leave that up to the people that are driving. So if you go into any city, like normally back in the past 20 years ago, there was dozens of, I'm sure New York or Chicago, maybe hundreds even, but dozens of taxi companies. It was super competitive because... You can only control so much of a market. You can only have so many cars. Anybody else, could, they can buy that medallion. They can then get their own fleet. They can do the same thing. It's just a question of who is the, the money to get in the game right there. You know what I mean? So before where it was broken up in one way, now it got completely subverted. It I seems like the taxi industry was very monopolized or at least like um, at, at least some kind of oligopoly because you have yellow cab, orange cab, you know, those type of those entities are everywhere. They're in every city. So is it really that diverse? And was there that much competition or was there a lot more, you know, because to me, it always seemed like a very dirty and kind of a, kind of a, um, kind of a, a, a shady industry to work in. Like well, mafia ties. Industry. When you think about it, and I mean, it just makes sense. Most cab drivers are, are immigrants. Yeah, but that's because of the like barrier of entry. You don't need to have an education. You don't need to be able to speak the language. You can drive a car. Like you said, it's pretty much universal that people can drive something those, around the those world. Those are usually the people who have to take the worst jobs, the toughest jobs, the most Because they just got here. They got to do something. They, 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 haven't assimilated. they haven't assimilated yet, so it, this is an easy way to earn a living when they don't have to interact with a lot of people other than take their bags, say, hey, sir, yes, sir, where are you going, sir? And, uh, you know, or ma'am and, and keep on going. And that's not to not to denigrate what they're doing. Right. I mean, it's, a, it's an honorable thing. Like I take taxis to the airport and home monthly. Right. All the time. So uh, and I appreciate those guys. And usually we have really good conversations. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I, I did it. I did it as an Uber or Lyft driver. I'm, I'm no different. Than they're, they're normally it's a job like any other job. But, yeah, they're normally from like a Treya and like East Africa, like Ethiopia. It at least, the, at least here, it depends on the city, right? The city, yeah. I bet they're like Somalian and like Minneapolis and things like that because there's a big Somali population. But anyway, that's like the labor pool. It's being so, 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 let's, so, here, so let's talk about that, right? So those guys are the ones that are getting 
saying these 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 jobs are immigrants normally that are, are are trying to make their way in America, earn an honest living, pay their taxes, yada yada yada, do it the proper way. And um, so now you got this, uh, this these tech companies, quote unquote, uh, tech companies that uh, that came in with these apps, and they have farmed this out now to the masses, um, and have completely decimated the taxi uh, industry in almost and uh, in, in, in all major cities across America well, and probably around the world. It. Com- yeah. Completely destroyed. It's yeah. Everywhere. Right. And I mean, I remember when I was driving. I was driving for a couple of weeks and like, I, I was taking pride in it. At that time I was out of work and it was way to make some money. And like, people seemed to like it when you gave them rides. I was like, wow, I, I'm empowered. I'm making money. This is cool. Then I remember somebody leaning out their window and I was just staring at me with death daggers. And I would like, I didn't know why they were looking at me and they roll down their window and they go, you fucking scab. And then their car drives off. Damn. And at that time I didn't understand why they were mad at me. But then I learned about what was going on. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're friends with the taxi driver or, like, you know, like, you, you work in that industry, the transportation industry, you see it as a direct attack and a threat to your livelihood. Right. On basically, what you were told was these were the rules and the goalposts and a way to earn a living. Now we're going to completely change the game on you, and there's nothing you can do. Well, about it's like what we were talking about pre-show, right? We were talking a little bit of like they were like, "Oh, well, we disrupted an industry." Like, no, you subs- you usurped like laws and regulations and and barriers to entry. Like, for example, picking up from the airport. Remember that was a really big thing for the longest time. They couldn't pick up from the airport uh, because they had certain um, restrictions and only gave away certain permits uh, to. Uh, businesses and, and, and black car drivers to, to pick up from the airport and uh, that's what uh, that's what it was change those to your uh, change it just change it to your change so for the longest time Uber and Lyft they couldn't pick up from the airports right because um, there are certain restrictions from the airport. Obviously, security restrictions. They had. Uh, there were certain black car companies um, that have, and you've seen the stickers, right, on the on the bumpers. That it'll have like a certain registration sticker uh, on the bumpers, and and so uh, only certain um, only certain people uh, and certain companies could pick up from the airport. And then all of a sudden, there was just a flurry of freaking people just dropping off and picking up, and there was like chaos at the airport, and people driving all over the place. You know, here's the thing too about. Uber and Lyft. I always like it. I, I always liked it. I think it's it is uh, very it is very communal. It makes you feel like you are you know people in your community are you know helping. So it does. There is that that whole kind of thing. Um, but uh, they're not professional drivers and they don't drive all the time. All the time, right? Like the guys that that are the taxi drivers that I take home from the airport because I always take a taxi home. I'll take Uber there. But I take taxis home, and the reason why I do is because they just drive with a more like assertiveness, <laughs> and they just they you know they do their thing. It's like they're I mean, they're, they're there to make money. There's a of reasons for that, but I mean, as somebody who drove for them, uh, I'll tell you first and foremost, like you go through range of emotions because in the beginning you're grateful you're able to earn money when you can't, but then you start to understand that you're earning money playing a devil's gamble where you're risking everything and they're risking nothing. 
Well, it's not, it, you know, at the time, especially in the beginning, they didn't even have any, that type of insurance. Like it was like very limited liability. I think it was up to like a hundred thousand dollars. You had to have your own insurance. You're driving your own vehicle. Basically you're taking out a depreciating value out of your vehicle in yeah. exchange for, for real time cash. But they're not giving you the vehicle to drive. It's your own vehicle. It's your own vehicle. Incident, That's right. This is before, the, like the last year or two, where they actually had. Did stuff you sign anything? Did you sign anything to get on with them? Did like was there like an indemnification clause that like totally absolved them from any responsibility at all? No, they they had to have like some form of. I think it was like up to a hundred thousand dollars in like some type of like insurance coverage. But you also had to be personally insured. Gotcha. Like, but they but they provided some some level of coverage or no? They no. they had they had to provide some like some. over the top but like but you had to have your. But own that was like some kind of umbrella insurance. thing that you probably never touched unless you pierced like this certain veil like this certain threshold on your yeah, insurance. I mean, so they, I'm sure they would litigate the hell out of that that they would never ever they would never ever pay. Um, yeah, or you do the math and you figure it out. You're like okay, like yeah. I, I, at my best I'm making thirty dollars an hour or something. Okay, but I'm. I'm gas this or that okay it's you know let's say it's 26 an hour okay after taxes all right that's 18 an hour wow i'm driving around the streets of san francisco at 2 a.m dealing with wasted drunks trying to puke in my back seat and get dropped off in sketchy neighborhoods at 18 an hour and we haven't even talked about the depreciation on your vehicle at that point yeah yeah and like and we haven't even and we haven't even talked about the fact that you'd have to go and fend for yourself on the exchange for health care so what does that cost and the interesting thing was, too, it, they made it so attractive to people in the beginning. It was like $500 sign-up bonus. Do, do 20 rides and get another $500. We'll help you get financing on cars. So all these partner companies partnered up with Uber and Lyft and convinced people, you know what? You need to get a new or used vehicle so you can be an Uber or Lyft driver. Hmm. And these people took out ten, twenty thousand dollar loans, thirty thousand dollar loans. Now they got their car. They're expecting to be making thirty. I wonder how those were structured. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Uber had a. Uh, I mean, I'd imagine they'd have. They got some kind of points off for that. Of course. With whoever they, with whoever, because it, because it's like a finder's fee. They're just bringing. They're just bringing people to freaking you know whoever they're getting cars from, whoever's the 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 finance company. Yeah, so tens of thousands of people that got these loans for cars that they're expecting to be able to earn $30 an hour on to help pay off. And then what happens is it starts going from $30 an hour to 20 Well, then there's like a glutton of, a, of, of labor. Everyone here is going to make $30 an hour. Everybody wants to do it. There's a huge influx of labor yeah. because this job requires basically a very underpaid pool of labor that has an asset. Well, it's per- here's the thing. It's perfect for the service industry, right? For people who work in the service industry and people who are like um, busboys or, um, or low-wage earners already that need another job or a side gig to you know, make some extra cash and really try to get on with it. And, um, and so there's a lot of those people, especially in these cities that we're talking about, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego. Where the, where it's these, weird though. It's like capitalism solution to these obvious problems is not like, hey, we've got these huge metropolitan areas where there's tons of traffic and it's tough to get around and it's expensive to own a car. What's a good solution? More uh, cars. Yeah, exactly. Not, <laughs> not train, not trains or subways or some type of public infrastructure system or public. It's like what we just talked better. about. We like, just talked no, about. No, we need, we need, we need an app so that people who have cars can can Ten, other people. It's around. Like, 
when they aren't driving their cars. That way, all the cars are always getting driven. It's like we were talking about, I mean, like 10 minutes ago or whatever, we were just talking about going, literally, we, were, we needed to go two and a half miles, and the only way to get there was to wait for a taxi or for now an hour, Uber. For an hour and a half. And you're like... Why should I have to wait that long to go that far in a city? Why why shouldn't I be able just to jump on some trolley system and take me there? Like mm-hmm. my goodness, you know, I, I still remember when I was 16 years old. I was hey, a bus. If there was a bus route within within two three blocks where I knew a bus was coming every 15 30 minutes, cool, we'll hop on the bus. I'll that was efficient. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, I used to take Muni when I was in San Francisco for a little, and it was dirty. And well, you guys had Bart up there too, and Bart's good. Bart Bart does his thing. You know, there's just, you know, what, and I get people's uh, issues with public transport because the one issue is that, you know, you got to deal with the public and public transport. Yeah, Americans and just like their freedom or their sense of like independence or something. Um, people want to be free from being we'd much rather we'd much, yeah. rather we'd much rather be by ourselves in our SUV than with like four other people in a train car. No, well, it's like people like the, they're in a train car, though, and like, you know. They're in it with some, like, let's say, like a homeless person or somebody who's like loud. And to them, it's like an inconvenience. And I mean, I understand that to a degree. On the other hand, that's all the more reason to be like, all right, we've got all the more reason to like want to keep improving things, make them better. You know what I mean? There's a reason like people act in ways where they shouldn't or, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're homeless and they shouldn't be. If we like made conditions better, you know, people would be yeah, even right. better. There wouldn't be some smelly dude next to you in the subway. Like, that's the concept behind it. Right. I feel like we can hide out in our super SUVs so we never have to smell the homeless person. We can have the bubble. We can just live in our bubble. Hey, it's like our suburban bubble. bubble. Have it's you seen the bubbles for, for the dinners in San Francisco they're building? Yes. Like, the private yeah. So now, like, you don't have to smell or see the bums. You can have your little seven-course sushi dinner. What do they do? They project like some images on the inside, so you can like do it. In, <laughs> so you can just live in this utopian like soma coma. Yeah, oh, dude, it's crazy. For, like, special like four hundred dollar like prefix meal. So, so the story, here's the story that actually got us going though that we wanted to lead to with just this backstory is there's been a, a showdown here in California with yes. Uber and Lyft that's been going on since yes. May, basically because a judge decided, hey. You guys are actually employees. Yes. 1099 contractors, yes. which is what a lot of businesses, you know, try to play this game where, you know, hey, we're, we're going to have you do things that are basically very employee-like, but we don't want to pay any taxes. People try to skirt that line, exactly, because they don't want to take on all the additional expenses of hiring on actual employees and with the, you know, workman's comp and, you know, payroll taxes and if, if you've ever any healthcare a business owner, then you then you might have been asked to be like, hey, guess what? You be a 1099, like, but I show up to work every day when you kind of tell me to. Right. But, you know. See, most people don't know their know their rights when it comes to that, you know, because most people have been taught in this country to just be grateful to have a job, um, because there's always hardship or there's always a burst, uh, you know, a boom bust type of cycle going on, right? And so it's kind of like. Yeah, you know, you, you know, don't question that. People just don't question those things too much. But, you know, because we were when this when this happened, I kind of was like, well, how do they how do they constitute being actually employees? I mean, it seems to me like they have a lot of freedom. They can turn on the app when they want. They can drive when they want. But the truth is, is that there is a high degree of control over the wages, right? Uh, that of these employees uh, because of the way that it's structured. 
and the way it's regulated, like with most industries, to be a player in the game, you've had to have put in billions of dollars and gotten to this point. So you can't be like, you know what? I'm not going to drive for Uber and Lyft. I'm going to go drive for Matt Driveco. Right. Matt Driveco doesn't exist. Doesn't if it did exist. exist, it wouldn't be legally allowed to exist. Right. You know what I mean? You would not be allowed to operate and regulate as a, a rideshare business because you haven't gone through all the channels and regulations and things they have it's, by literally burning billions of dollars. They don't even make money. Don't you think it's interesting? It is interesting how these things kind of mushroom into the behemoths that they are without people checking them more along the way. I know that there was some rumbling and people kind of stood up against them, um, but it seemed to me, it seems to me like they kind of just ran roughshod over everybody until now that the state's finally like, wait a minute, you know, you're not doing right by these people. For so long, like there was a long time, like just court See, and that's the key, man. That's the key. Drag it out, right? Here's the key. This is the key. Just make as much money as you possibly can in the beginning and then just fight it the whole way. Uh, the, hey, the, what happens is the lawyers drag it out, and by the time it gets dragged out, it, you've won. Yeah. Because ba- because basically, taxi companies... What's going to happen to them now? What's going on here is bullshit. This is illegal. We're filing suit. And they're like, cool. Well, we're going to get an injunction that says... We're going to keep operating. We're going to get to keep operating until this is litigated. And they get that. And then guess what? A couple of years later... We're in every major city in the world. Mm-hmm. We're a billion-dollar company. We've got billion-dollar investors. Who, who's investing in Yellow Cab? Carl Icahn? Right. Warren Buffett? Right. Exactly. You know? Well, here's the other thing. But a company that's worth fifty billion dollars. Well, let's talk about let's talk about let's let's talk about Endgame for these companies for real. Because the truth is, is that if it was me and I had these companies, sooner or later I would have a fleet of vehicles. But those fleet of vehicles would be autonomous, and they would just be roaming the city, oh, empty. And picking up people as they as they you know as they go, so just eliminating a, the entire like human so, element. Interesting, interesting thing, and it's funny because this ties into like a lot of what uh, you know, the super rich and the super elite want. Like Elon Musk, uh, you know, he had his hyperloop thing, and people were initially like, "Oh, this sounds like crazy, awesome! He's going to do this like mass transport, and it's going to be like you know super fast. Like this guy's amazing, classic Elon super grift." It was basically a subway for cars. Yeah. Where you would get in like a Tesla-like car. It, it, puts, you was, it puts you on like a plate, a plate and then it just launches so you that, through the freaking That's tube. what Uber, Uber and Lyft ultimately want because I talked to some people who've like actually worked on these and know about the... Because uh, there is the, the LA to Vegas necessary. one, right? Like yeah. that's a thing. Well, the, the sensors necessary to do this in cities are basically almost... It's impossible to a degree. There's too many incalculable variables. You can do it on a fixed track. You can do it in certain sets of conditions. But what you can do it on is if you built certain lanes or certain special highways, special roads, tunnels, you could do it on those. Oh, so Uber and Lyft are going to be like, hey, we want these special roads to be exclusive to our vehicles because they can run on this track or Hey, we can do it completely autonomous. We can eliminate accidents. We can eliminate completely efficient. There won't be traffic. Like... They'll do it in a test city, I bet, eventually, and then they can roll it out. But like you're right, the goal is eventually eliminate the labor entirely once it makes sense to. But you to do that, they literally need some type of like uh, autonomy on the road because you can't have you know Grandma Yetta and you know Joe Schmo driving their SUV next to the the special Tesla hybrid uh, you know automized vehicle because 
too many micro calculable variables cause an accident. You can't have one accident in that system. Yeah, and that, you're, you're right. So they're going to have to have partitioned off lanes and something that's more exclusive. But again, it's interesting. It's interesting. For, it's interesting rich, from right? an American's for the rich and transportation for the poor. Right. When it's interesting, correct. And, and this is where I'm getting at. So it's interesting that it, that in the American point of view and the place that we come from is the automobile. How do we expand upon this automobile that was created? That you know, in, in this highway, in this freeway system that you know we 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 pioneered, instead of taking a model of the rest of the world and especially the the eastern world when you're talking about bullet trains and maglev and you know other technologies to move um to move big and, and massive amounts of people um quickly uh, and, and and i've always so i went to i went to europe when i was a kid when i was like about 16 years old uh, i went to sweden and denmark and we took the train <clears throat> from gothenburg sweden to uh to denmark and uh, and ended up literally taking a train onto a boat, the boat on like across the sea, and then into a different country, and got off, and the train went off the boat, <laughs> and then kept going <laughs> to like the city that we were going to, and this was in 1996. Like I was floored when I came back to Pennsylvania, and I was like, "Where are our trains? We have the thing called the Great Plains for Christ's sake! <laughs> like what?" is up with the United States of America. I mean, we were getting on these trains in freaking Denmark and going to, to, to Copenhagen, and they were going like 120-some miles an hour, and these were just regular trains, like just bullet trains, like not maglev, not some kind of super crazy technology, just freaking trains, man. I mean, trains are great, man, but it's, it's funny here in America because the automobile is kind of like um, the American... It's a symbol. symbol of... It's a symbol of American independence, almost, it is. in a way, yes. to a degree, yes. which is, uh, it's strange just because you have the sense of freedom, like, I am the guy behind the wheel, I control where it goes, I can go anywhere. I can, go, so I can speed if I want, I mean, I can break oh, the law oh, and speed. But when but you get underneath the layers, you're like, okay, well, I have to get gas, so I've got to pick, I got to get this thing to, to make this thing go. And I have to drive it on concrete, so I can only drive on the, on the roads that have been paved. I can only go where they tell me I can go. And to drive this, i got to get a license. i got to agree to all these rules. So how much freedom do you really have? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You, you have some freedom of movement that's fixed within all these things, and it's at a huge expense where it's like, okay, if I wanted to get from San Diego to Nevada, Las Vegas, by car, got to own the car, got to have insurance, got to have gas to get me there. Got to register a the car. A, a bus ticket or a train ticket. Uh, I mean, I know a bus ticket's way cheaper, but even nowadays it's not that cheap. It could be way cheaper. I mean, it should be way cheaper. But if we had like a bullet train, like they've been talking about building for 30 years, you could get there for, you know, $50, $100. You wouldn't need your own $10,000, $20,000 vehicle with $1,000. The problem with these bullet train projects is they're building these bullet train projects like bakersfield to san jose like yeah what LA to las vegas right like what not not los angeles to las vegas yeah not like la to vegas like like that would be like proof of concept people would be like sweet i can be in vegas in a couple hours i mean i think they would have think, to have i think, the I think they would have to have like the mountains you know i think for i think in vegas like though i think they would have to like for that train they would have to have like 
special VIP compartments for like people that are having like you know issues <laughs> that either need attention or like at least some extra sleep or some some private <laughs> some private yeah, time. Anything, bro. It's, it's all it's all capitalized. You know, I'm just I'm just talking about the people that had a little bit too much fun in Vegas and the and the trip back is like they're gonna be hurting. So they need to have they need to take precautions. Is all I'm saying. Maybe have some rubber Man, floors. Maybe some other things like that. So if they do do that, if whoever whoever's the company that contracts to make the train cars for that train, make sure that you have some slip resistance and some chemical resistance and some things that will that can you can just clean up easily. That's what I'm just saying. We're not we're not trying to make snow piercer here, Matt. Okay. <laughs> like there's Tell gonna be, one, there's two, gonna be three. in the back there's gonna be nothing but like hungover college students puking on each other. Exactly. Or like the rich are up front like cordoned off in their spas, like getting getting IV drips. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's so Vegas. Capitalize the hangover, Matt. Capitalize the hangover, <laughs> right? I say. We need some oxygen rooms and shit. So oh, we're coming man. to this this game of chicken where uh, we're potentially going to get shut down. I mean, what the ruling said here, and I think this is the paragraph that really sums it up in the initial ruling when, uh, you know, they, they came down against Uber and left them immediately pulled up right here. Uber and Lyft have argued that they are technology companies and that drivers are not a core part of their business. Side note, strange, seen as strange drivers, they, they don't make any money. Uh, but that flies in the face of economic reality and common sense, quote, Judge Solomon wrote in his ruling, continued, quote, were this reasoning to be accepted, the rapidly expanding majority of industries that rely heavily on technology could with impunity deprive legions of workers of the basic protections afforded to employees by state labor and employment laws. Yeah. And end quote. So yeah. And what, what the judge is basically saying there is that, you know, if we weren't ruling this way against Uber and Lyft and it gets overturned on appeal, basically it's going to allow technology companies to use this force of market manipulation and legalese to use other industries and do the exact same thing. It, Guess what? It's, it's going to be coal mine ink, Matt. You're going to – the coal mine, you can work in the coal mine whenever you want. You just register through the app. Get your own coal equipment. Go into the mine and get it, and they keep a percentage of the coal. Right. So if you right. So if you shift. So if you shift the mode of labor to technology, then you can just operate with with impunity, and every and you never have an employee ever again. Um, it relies on this pool of like labor, where it's like, okay, if you make it attractive, and there's a huge pool of labor, you got thousands, millions of people who need work, you can always just dangle a carrot of like... Well, I actually like the... You know what, man? That's not a bad model. I mean, I like the open source working model. Like, hey, you want to be a coal miner for a couple weeks? Come be a freaking coal miner for a couple weeks. You turn on the app, you want to do something else? You know, you're sick of doing that? You want to go work in the field? It's like, you know what I'm saying? It's it's like low-wage roulette. Maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe, maybe what you do, maybe what you do is you incorporate, you incorporate like slot machines and this app, so that you actually just pick and it spins the wheel, and then it just says you're doing this this week. It's funny you put it like that, and I mean this is going to be a bit of an aside, but like it is philosophically relevant, and it's how I think things should be, which they aren't going to be, but it's the right way to look at it. Uh, Aldous Huxley, my favorite author in the book Island, in this futuristic utopia. They presuppose now, the, way this, the way the society is structured is that people work, but there aren't jobs per se. There's field labor, there's science labor, there's like the teaching, and 
basically different people have different capacities for different things. Like one of the characters, he's like a brute dude, but he's smart. So he's like, you know, sometimes I go to the field because like I like doing heavy lifting and giving with my hands, but then I get tired of that and I want to do something else. So then I'll go work in the laboratory or this or that. And they flip between and there's somebody else with like, I've got like motherly maternal instincts and I'm meant to be a teacher. And that's what I focus on. And it's like, instead of being compelled to do things where it's like, where are my skills going to make the most profit based on a random set of circumstances and variables I can't determine? It's instead, okay, where can I do the most good and how can we structure society in a way where we can all continually look to do good? You yeah. don't always need to be doing manual field labor, but guess what? Sometimes it feels good to build a house or yeah. paint a fence. Yeah, it's absolutely. Cool. I, I don't want to be doing it every day, but I don't mind doing it every now and then. Right. You know what I mean? Right. There's people who love it though. There's people like, I love building stuff. I, you know, I love construction. It's like, that guy should be a foreman. That guy well, should be construction. It, don't you right? think it'd be nice if like there was, if employers did give more time to work on these passion projects to, you know, to, to, to you could take some sabbatical. Why would like, they do hey, that, Matt? Well, I know, it, I, I know, but I'm just thinking about what you're saying and I'm like, yeah, you know, that's really that would be awesome and then you know more people would be Private able to give time have no there's nothing that no there is no incentive for that no you're absolutely right absolutely, and, and you know what's great is that, that there are people that are out there who live exactly like what you just said where it is more of a um a selfless type of giving where it's uh, or they're living out their 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 purpose and their passion and they're actually doing that there are people out there that live their lives and, and they and they they prescribe to that and they are able to um, and they're able to be successful that way. For most the people, for is, most oh, people, they're they're beat up. down and conformed into the and, and and pushed through this mold and the system of um, of capitalism that we that we live in. That it just you know sucks people in, devoids everybody of their creativity, and basically sucks as much <laughs> sucks out as much out of the marrow as possible, and then you know, spits them back out into the world so they can go drink their miserable lives away. It's weird though. Like I, as I've gotten older, I feel like most people who like if they've continued to mature, your perspective should be like you know a quality. You know what our parents would consider. You know that good middle class existence, owning a home, the white picket fence, a car, a wife, two two kids, and you can send them to college. That type of existence, like persevering for something like that, and being able to like better our world. That seems to be like like a fair thing to strive for. I don't think most people are like, I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm going to be famous. I think that's like a phase people grow out of. I think it is and too. It doesn't see it. But it seems like if we can't like harness that energy into something bigger, people still want to have that like floated hope of like, I'm still in the lottery. Uh, I'm still going to get that big break. I'm still going to win American Idol. I'm still going to go on Survivor. Like the, my 15 minutes are still coming. Like we need some type of more like shared communal project where we're all working together on things it's funny because whenever it happens it's in response to some tragedy and then it becomes politicized mm -hmm. right like that brings people together mm -hmm. but then there's a reactionary thing to that right well i think that there's places in all lives matter it's interesting there's good can come out of there's it. places in the world to look at that that definitely that definitely live that 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 mantra the the of of, of you know the the greater good um <laughs> freaking Denmark being the, the number one, you know, example of that. And it's, and it's interesting because when you talk, when you speak to, when you speak to the people, to the Danish people, um, yeah, I was looking at some Twitter and stuff because people were always like, Oh, but you guys pay this much in taxes. And, you, and they're like, yeah, but you know what? We live a good life. We make more money. 
for you know per capita because we all have education, higher education that was yeah. free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like no homeless people. Our streets are clean. Our streets Everyone's are clean, and, we, and everybody's happy. And so, like, yeah, do we give a little bit to to live this way? Yes, but do we live a, a do we live a me, uh, an existence that is happiness based and first and foremost about our life? You know, they give year they get twelve months of paternity leave and maternity yeah. leave. What, one month paid vacation for everyone, right? Yeah, one month paid vacation for everybody like that are encouraged to go. I mean, when you look at those statistics about the way that Americans work and how much that we actually take pride in the fact that we overwork ourselves, it's disgusting. And I think it's, it has put itself... I don't think we take pride in it so much as that. Like, that's been like brainwashed into us. Yeah, but, but, now, but now we do take pride. It's like the norm, right? I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know, I, li- I started living by this mantra recently, this, this, this thing, uh, happiness above all else, you know? So... Uh, it actually stemmed from the conversation that you and I had a few days ago when we were talking about being self-critical when, um, you know, lulls come in your life, you know, when you're not super busy and you're feeling like that your purpose is, has been diminished or you're, you know, it makes you feel a little wayward or whatever. And, you know, so, and you said, that, hey, you were focused on other things. You had some PT going on and some other stuff. And I know that we're really divergent here, but I think it's kind of important um, is, 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 I, it started making me think about, you know, myself and being hypercritical. And, you know, I've always been that way as an athlete and, and, and other things. And just, you know what, man, happiness above all else. Just like, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. It's okay. It's all good. Just be happy. Just live your life, man. Just live your life. It's all good. It's tough, man. Like, uh, like we're, we're getting into the philosophical deep end here, but I think this is a good way to round it off. That, that's the right way to approach it. Like, we, we always fail to, like, live in the moment that's like you know one of those phalluses of humanity where it's like you know to be in the moment is the most pure thing to strive for and attain to because it can all be taken away in a moment that's why everyone on their deathbed as they're dying doesn't matter who they are whether it's steve jobs they want more life they want to live more so like that's a critical thing to remember like this is a cherished uh truly uh, amazing experience we're granted with and we should really you know try to enjoy it to the fullest and, and share that with uh with as many people as we can so i think it's a good way to, to end it on that story we've got another one it's not a good story though <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll hit you with the backside on that's that right one. that's right whiplash let's bring it back let's get back to reality back we got off into the, the, in the philosophical uh crevasse over there and now we got uh now we got to get back to reality we live in a hate-filled world and people say shit all the time it's really stupid and uh i was consequences and i would yeah and you know what some stuff you just shouldn't say at work uh i think that's what you and i were kind of talking about where i was like i don't think i'd ever say that at work i don't think there's a context where i would be in what 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 we consider would be this person's office space Right. This would be his what office. What if your office space had hundreds of microphones in it? You, then I definitely wouldn't say. <laughs> oh god! You know, and it was televised and on radio. Yeah. Like a million yeah, people. Yeah. So uh, yeah, well, to get into this story, a couple weeks back we actually dropped a podcast on cancel culture. Unfortunately, due to uh, technological circumstances, it is lost to the ether. Uh, forever just entombed in my and Matt's uh, archived brain somewhere. But it was a good one. I, I wrote an essay. We had a really good chat. And this kind of ties into it in a way. And it's let me just like think about things a little more and develop a more nuanced opinion. The story is that the broadcaster for the Reds, uh, Tom Brennan, is that how you say his name? Yeah. 
So he's the Reds broadcaster, Cincinnati Reds, their play-by-play announcer. They're doing the pregame, and uh, he dropped a homophobic slur during the pregame uh, about uh, some city being, you know, the F epithet capital of the state or something like that, and casually dropped it. And we also got the hysterical yeah derogatory derogatory term for for a gay for homo uh, homosexuals starts with an F. We, starts we, with an F. Ends with a T. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so uh, he apologized mid game because he realized he'd said this, and he had to call a home run during his own apologies. Like I'm terribly sorry. But I've said uh, swing and a high fly ball. <laughs> Martinez with the swing to deep left and then hold back, hold back, hold back thought. Cincinnati Reds hold one, that, one, hold, one to zero. Hold that thought. I'll be right back. <laughs> the LGBT community knows first and foremost my deepest condolences. It's something that I always put them at the highest priority. <laughs> and so uh, he got suspended. He, he lost his job from Fox. And uh, the reason we don't bring it up though is because. There's these cases of like cancel culture where like people are getting canceled for good reasons and bad reasons and what, what is canceled, what isn't canceled. I was listening to the uh, Useful Idiots podcast with uh, Katie Halper and Matt Taibbi, and they were doing a story because uh, Matt Taibbi is firmly against cancel culture. He was part of like that letter that got written in the New York Times, right, right. Those intellectual luminaries, most of which I felt were unjustly uh, using it as like a cudgel against the left. And they brought up the story where there's this mayor of this small town who was running for Congress, and basically the college Democrats, the senders, they used the fact that he was uh, going on Tinder and Grindr, he's a gay man, and apparently he he tried to date or or, uh, went on a date with, like, college students. He was an adjunct professor. He's basically a lecturer. Now, he never, like had a relationship or, or had a date or had sex with any of his students, but they were like, literally, even though he was like 25, 30 years old at the time, they're like, because you tried to date a college student while you worked at a college, there was a power imbalance. And just like that, all of a sudden, they're pulling endorsements, uh, people aren't backing them, uh, like all these like centrist Democrats, like, oh, we can't endorse this. And they were using this, like, this is like a bad example of cancel culture. Like, here's somebody who... Is basically just trying to be a human being, like have sex with people, right? That's what like humans do. Nothing weird about it. But because he's a mayor, there's a power imbalance. Like, these are also the same people who just said Bill Clinton speak at the Democratic National Convention. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, that was a good example that did bring up of that case of, oh, you know, here's a negative example of cancel culture. I think those cases are by few and far between not uh, – the norm or not what we're talking about. I think this Tom Brenneman case is more what we're talking about in that it just seems like an obvious case where a public figure whose job is to represent a company is reprimanded because yes, because when no one's looking, when no one's looking, your true colors show. And so this is this, and I think that is what you have to. There has to be repercussions for. Right, they, you have to be able to you have to be able to check somebody when they when they are so when they're so, when when you're so naive or arrogant that you don't even understand what you're saying is hateful speech or out of line, right? Because it is, but because it is so fam- so familiar. 
I'm not even saying he should be fired. I don't. I don't know. If, I don't really know if he should be fired either. I. 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 I, I will say though, when I when I heard it and the way that he said, when he said the the word that he said, the the the, the emphatic nature in which he said it, made me think there was something more sinister behind it as far as than 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 just you know somebody saying something more off the cuff that was more accepting of um those marginalized folks you see what i'm saying do you, you know what yeah, i mean yeah, it, I, doesn't I, it don't I, it feel I, like I, that like a little bit more vindictive or, or something like i, I, I just, know what you mean i mean the, just the, 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 the nature of the it. emphasis of the uh, of it well you know it was, it was very casual it's got it's like a guy who said it a thousand times which he has i'm sure so casual but i think the main thing is just like i said i'm not saying he should be fired i'm not saying he shouldn't be fired i think the main thing with cancel culture that rubs thing people the wrong way about it is that like i said we're in this digital transition state where now like things you do and say can be forever entombed forever. on the internet right and so now mistakes or bad things you've said or you know they're never forgotten they're never forgotten they can be taken out of context so that's Maybe been a question that's been a changed. question a lot of a lot of people and especially uh, and especially public people um podcasters etc um have talked about before when is when is it acceptable to return back into the mainstream or to have your job back or to, you know, maybe not that job, but a like job, you know, when, you know, when, when do you get to turn into Michael Vick and come back? I guess you would say. I mean, I think like with everything, there's no one true answer. It's all a frame of context. The main thing is that I think what rubs people the wrong way is that there's this feeling that, because everybody knows they've done something wrong in the past. And if you got found out in your lowest moment, worst moment, then you would be getting the same fate as these people. And I mean, somebody said a racial slur, you, you did something wrong to somebody, you wronged them in a way where, you know, you don't want it shared. And the thought of being canceled for that, losing your job, losing your friends, it seems like so much because it doesn't offer any room for growth. Well, it also and doesn't seem just, like there's any into account what the violation is. Did somebody drop one epithet? If they dropped only one epithet, okay, what did they do afterwards? What type of contrition did they show? Did they do the tried and true what Tom Brennan did? It's the I'm a man of faith apology, which rings hollow. They spoke to somebody from the LGBT community, and they're like, I don't think he should be fired, but I don't think that apology was enough contrition. There was more he could do to show he's contrite than just you know, a, a BS apology. You can meet with the LGBTQ neighborhood. You can make a donation. You can start a, a fundraiser. You know, a bunch of things to show that, you know, I'm not just saying that to keep my job. Yeah. I actually do want to grow. Yeah. And, hey. and that does mean more to me you, than just you can go on a pod, you can go on a podcast with a with a public figure in their community yep. it's so easy these days it's so easy these days yeah. to reach across and to, and to and to and to and to you know reach out to a different community or are you know, upset you hurt people or are you upset you, you got, got caught, caught yeah people right you know and that's that's why i think things go so it's like okay it's happened once we should have room for growth if it happened a bunch maybe not maybe it depends on like what the context was you know what i mean but there should always be some uh, room to allow people to like apologize and grow. That being said, he's a 60-year-old man. He's not a college student. He's not a teenager. This isn't like a casual mistake. People, you know, this. He didn't know better. You know, he, he doesn't understand the history. Like, he's a grown-ass man. He's a grandpa at this point. Right. Like, you know, the, he is who he is. That's why I think 
to you were like I, I was like shocked by like how casual it yeah. was. Yeah, because when the mask slips, like that, it that's usually how it is. Like it's so casual. He probably doesn't even think of himself as like a hateful person. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying, and that's what you that's what you have to that's what you have to call out is when it's like that when it's just so passive, you know. It's just. It just every day it doesn't you know you you gotta you gotta stop you gotta stop that you gotta you gotta make sure that somebody is you know that you bring that to attention and address uh that thing i i think it is i think it is cu- i am curious though to see when people can come back and when they're accepted to come back into into life uh into the mainstream into um you know, especially what? public figures for the things that they've said or what they've done. It seems it seems to me like for the most part, people don't. It's like we were talking about during that that, that lost episode is that you, you talk about canceled, but but people aren't really canceled, are they? They're like yeah, they're the really not you are, ever. The more famous you are, the less canceled you are. Correct. Right. Even when yeah, you, you say they're canceled, yeah. and then there people be like, "Well, as like what since they've been canceled, so and so is living in blah blah blah." Yeah, <laughs> Roman Polanski, Woody Allen, Dave Portney, uh, Louis C.K. You can go through the list of people, and it's like, okay, there was times where they lost money, and now they seem to be still rich and famous and living life. And, yeah, went on, and, and that we're talking about a, a variety of crimes there, where we're not even talking about like dropping an n bomb. We're talking about like you know sexual assault or, or rape or things like that uh-huh. for some of these guys. Uh-huh. Not canceled right. for that. So it's like there's all these spectrum of what violations are and what people should do. And I just think what everyone needs to be aware of: we're in this transitionary state right now where no one knows what the fuck's going on. Because well, here's what we don't want to do: we don't want to throw we don't want to throw everybody the gulag, right? For 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 missteps, for saying things that are, you know, like you said, there's a trail now that are left forever. You could be in a you could be in a state of mind that you know that you're rarely in and tweet something out, and forever it's out. Before Michael Richards. Yeah, right, exactly. But you could, right? You could, you could be, you could be in a bad state. You could be, you know, feeling whatever, and you could reactionary, boom, tweet that out. Something could just get your goat, dude. And you could be so upset, and then all of a sudden, you just tweet this thing, and it's like, oh my god, <laughs> right? And 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 it's like, why? But that's the thing. Like, why are you on Twitter? Why are you on Twitter? Because that's the thing, bro. If that's the thing. People don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand the technology. When you're on Twitter, you're shouting in public. You're shouting to the universe. You're shouting to the world. You're not just, I'm on my phone. Click, clack, not, no big harm. It's like, no, you went outside with the biggest megaphone possible. It's like our first episode. And screamed that word. It's like our first episode. Yeah, and they still don't understand the powers of the tools they're using and what they infer. Like, no, I'm just like saying something. Well, don't you think that's because it. of the manipulation of the of the software itself? I mean, of the uh, of the program. Like, well, you know, they made fun of that they, too. They're like, how can you, how can you get bullied? Like, I, I think it was like Tyler the Creator or somebody. It was a really funny tweet like way back in the day. Like, how can you get bullied? Like, like laughing emojis or whatever. Turn off your phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How can you? Cyberbullying is not real. You can't do. Phone. They live in that world. It's in that world. It's a, it's they're connected. It's like crack. It's like I got to go back. I got to get my likes. I got to see how many tweets I got. I got to win things. I know that's a funny joke, but it's like it is true though because it's like you could not be on your phone still, and guess what? They're still talking shit about you on their phones and making fun of you. Exactly. And like you walk in a room and like you're a kid. Well, the problem is when it's the problem. The problem is when it when it jumps. 
that barrier goes back and forth. So if you have to interact with the people that are also bullying online, it's different if you're just completely disconnected to some strangers that are on Twitter. It's a whole different thing if it's like your friends and your or, or your, your your circle that you're that you're with in, in in high school or junior high or something like that, where it's then that becomes incessant. It's nonstop, right? It's like all day at school, all night on it online. Even when you're checked offline, there's a whole bunch of people that might be like you know sitting there and you know going uh you know getting being rude to you or, or, or stirring rumors or whatever it is um so i i feel for the children that live in this day and age man i mean i came up right before this whole deal happened and the zoomers you feel for the zoomers i feel for them i really do i really do i mean like listen it's like we talked about everything's being recorded everything's being cataloged um everywhere that you go outside has a camera somewhere um it's just it, we just live in this like security state that's very uh, very troubling. I, I think it, it. I think it. I think we better watch it because, like, I, sooner or later, everybody's gonna have something that's not great in their past, and then like, and we're gonna have to come to terms with that, and it's gonna be recorded. You know what I'm saying? Black Mirror come to life, dude. Yeah, it's going to be recorded. So there's going to be a record. Every single person, like, so this judge, you know, is going to have, you know, right now where we were talking about, you know, Judge Kavanaugh and something that happened back in 1984 where there was no real record of it. Well, then there's going to be, now there's going to be like a a judge sometime in 2034, and they're going to have something that happened in 2004 or 2008 or 2018, and there's going to be, there's going to be a trove of video and uh, digital photography and some tweets and a post and uh, Instagram, you know, and maybe a, maybe a TikTok video uh, of all these things that these people have done. And, 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 and part of it is just life. And there's some of it, there's, there's, it's, not, it's not stuff that is, you know, maybe it's not completely outrageous, outlandish, or illegal, but, you know, maybe it's questionable, you know, but you're 20. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I think about, like, what I was about and interested in, and, I mean, uh, like, I'm a terrible person, but I was, like, most interested in just getting getting wasted when I was, you know, around the 20-year-old age. Yeah, you were... Not, aspi- not, not aspiring to higher things, aspiring to very little... Base, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, trying to just uh, get, get a grip on the world. Yeah, but, uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I got. I think I got one now, and I'm holding on firm. That's uh, right. No, that's right. It, and, and it comes around, and that's what I'm saying. Like now, I feel like I'm, you know, well-adjusted, like person in society. Maybe I, I mean I'm not. I don't agree with you know the way that, that things are always run, but um, you know. So anyway, my point is, is, and it goes back to the whole like canceling of people and what deserves to be canceled, and how long are you canceled for, and is it really? Is it really? necessary to cancel and is that actually does that actually help fix the problem because then you're just shutting people out and cutting them off and putting them in a box instead of trying to like you said have them have a conversation to actually learn something and grow from whatever uh you know instance just happened yeah, I think we need to just make sure there isn't like some false equivalency, though. You know, like Aziza Ansari got canceled because he was a bad date, basically. Yeah. You know what I mean? He wasn't Louis C.K. You know, he wasn't like basically intimidating comedians by jerking off in front of them and then <laughs> having his manager ruin their careers. Uh, you know what I mean? So like, there's, le- there's levels to that. So, like, 
everything needs to be taken into context at that time. And there's no two that are alike. So it's like, this person's canceled. This cancel culture's like, listen, you can't always be like A's like B's. You can't compare apples and bananas. Like, like Kevin Hart, they were saying, got canceled because he lost the Oscars job. And oh, yeah, yeah. Like, wait, wait. Like, they asked him to apologize, and he said he wouldn't, so he didn't get the job. He continued to be one of the most successful, highest-paid actors in the country. Yeah, I still see him. He's on Capital One commercials. So he got canceled. He he did not get a job because they asked him to do. Wasn't he just in Jumanji? He, he probably made freaking twelve, fifteen million dollars in for that movie, Jumanji. Yeah. Wasn't he just so like, in that? It, but but like somebody who really was canceled that they'll bring up, they'll be like, there was this uh, professor. I forget which university, but he made a lot of comments that were uh, against. Uh, Israeli actions, and I think like uh, the Anti-Defamation League or somebody, they basically like helped brand him as an anti-Semite because of that, and he got kicked out of academia, and the guy's like working as a bus driver now. Mm. And it's like, oh yeah, there's, there's, there's an instance of cancel culture where it's like, yeah, like that's pretty crazy that like you. That's a that's a lightning rod topic, man. Like you, you, like that's one that's it's a non-starter, which is unfortunate because you can't have a legitimate conversation about what's going on in Israel and the West Bank and Palestine. Um, no, I'm because, saying, that would be because, that, because stuff like, like oh, that yeah, happens. Culture is run amok. It's a different example to be like, oh, like you know, uh, Chris D'Elia was sending dozens of you know, text messages and, and uh, DMs to girls who were 16 and 17, like, you know, asking them for nudes and, and trying to get them to meet up with them and playing that game of, like, are you 18? Oh, how old were you? Oh, but you can't come, like, you're doing that, like, dozens of times. It's like, okay, that's different than, like, you know, one mistake. <laughs> right, right. Like, uh, when, we, when we look at something that's, like, uh, like predatory behavior, if there's dozens, hundreds of instances, you can be like, okay, we can infer things from that. Like that's why the context of every one of these situations is different. The irony about Chris D'Elia too was the funniest thing was he was in a workaholics episode. Yeah, I saw that episode. He, it was a great he, episode. He, he played a pedophile. They ended up pulling that episode from Comedy Central. You can't see it anymore. Then they cast him in the show called You with, with as Whitney Cummings' boyfriend again as a pedophile. Damn. But like I, you can't make this stuff up, man. It's like inside the Hollywood, inside baseball. Right? <laughs> Crazy. That's good crazy. stuff, man. Good Heck stuff. Yeah. So I'll uh, I'll leave you guys with uh, with that for the weekend. It was another fun uh, fun uh, conversation with you, Matt. I always like uh, getting after it. It's a good way to start the week off and get the the brain juices flowing. So hopefully we'll have something interesting to talk about next week that won't be as horribly depressing. <laughs> but, uh, no guarantees. I thought we tried to keep it right. You know, we went all over the place. We had a little bit of dive, dive into the philosophical, and we talked a little. You know, we covered a lot of stuff. So, um, and I think that we did the uh, that we did the, the the ghost episode justice by uh, resurrecting some of the um, some of the talking points. Uh, they, that we uh, we discussed at that time. It's unfortunate. I'll take complete responsibility for that one. Yeah, and okay, uh, it is what it is. If you want to hear Devin's side of the podcast <laughs> only, we do have that audio, uh, but we do not have mine. So uh, that is what happened, and uh, it's all good. But another one is in the books. I think this was episode 40, so that's kind of a milestone, which is awesome. Wow. Um, that we had like. episode 40. Uh, and uh, we've been cranking them out here this summer, and uh, yeah, four zero, big time, awesome. Peace and love, everybody. Great being here as always. Hope to see you guys soon.